The Most Pleasant Exhaustion Podcast is brought to you by Blue Pineapple Travel. Blue Pineapple Travel are experienced travel agents who help you design the perfect trip. They're all well-traveled and knowledgeable, and they will be your advocates from start to finish. The world is a lot different these days, and the agents at Blue Pineapple Travel are ready to help you safely navigate it. From helping you figure out the conscientious destinations to helping you figure out entry protocols for different countries, the agents at Blue Pineapple Travel are there for you. Looking to work abroad for an extended period of time? Looking to attend virtual school from a remote location? These are all things that Blue Pineapple Travel can help you do. Again, their website is bluepineappletravel.com. The Most Pleasant Exhaustion Podcast is also brought to you by ITL Coaching and Performance. You can find them at itlcoaching.com. ITL Coaching and Performance exists to build a community of athletes set on reaching goals and serving the community. They have a passion for helping people achieve their goals and dreams. ITL coaches are real people with phones, emails, and the desire to spend time with you during your training. They are vested in their ITL athletes. ITL takes a communal approach to coaching, so there's always someone available to answer questions and to help adjust your training schedule. An ITL coach will be glad to meet with you and to chat about your goals and find the best plan to help you meet those goals. Again, their website is itlcoaching.com. And finally, the Most Pleasant Exhaustion Podcast is also brought to you by SlayRx. You can find those good folks at www.slayrx.com. Are you needing a pleasant spark to take your endurance game to the next level? Are you needing an all-natural, high-quality, customized hydration powder with or without sugar to stave off cramping and dehydration? Are you in need of an effective all-in-one fuel to slay your endurance efforts? Look no more. SlayRx. SlayRx has a really good line of products to serve our most pleasant exhaustion podcast listeners. Let's start with Michelle's favorite, Spark Plug, which replaces sports gel and gross post-race strips to the Porta Johns. It's a poppin' electrolyte powder in small, easily carried tubes. There's also an all-in-one endurance fuel. It has all of your electrolytes, clean fuel, and for no extra cost, your essential amino acids with or without caffeine. And it costs about one-third as much as other brands' combo rocket fuels. Finally, they have my favorite, SlayRx Hydrate Powder, which comes with or without sugar and varying strengths of electrolytes based on your individual needs. They can find those individual needs on the free quiz online at SlayRx.com or with in-person testing like Patrick and I did at their headquarters on podcast episode number 114. Hydrate is the fuel that I use during the Blue Ridge Relay this year, and I recommend it for all of you as well. SlayRx products are 100% natural, come in great flavors, are vegan friendly, and the Hydrate Light is keto friendly. They've all been well researched and developed by a UGA food scientist who's also an Ironman athlete. The products are tested by the pros and endorsed by your fellow endurance athletes and hardworking folks in the community. The free sweat quiz and their products can be found at SlayRx.com, on Amazon.com, or at your local run and bike shop if it's available. You can use the code PLEASANT22 for 10% off at their website. Thanks to SlayRx for sponsoring us, y'all. Give them a try. We appreciate our sponsors, and thanks to all of them for helping us bring you the Most Pleasant Exhaustion Podcast. Most Pleasant Exhaustion Podcast brought to you by ITL Coaching Performance, Blue Pineapple Travel, and Slayer X. My name is George Darden. I'm an endurance athlete and coach here in Atlanta, Georgia. I'm a college professor and I'm a father of twin boys. And my name is Michelle Frank. I'm also an endurance athlete here in Atlanta, Georgia. I'm a CPA and I'm a mom to three girls. And we have with us on the podcast tonight a very special guest, professional runner Sadie Henderson. Sadie, welcome to the Most Pleasant Exhaustion Podcast. Hello, I'm happy to be here. 
We are excited that you are here, Sadie. Thanks for coming on the podcast with us. Michelle, tell us about our guest. Sure. So just a little bit of background. As George said, Sadie's a professional runner. Her Instagram profile says she runs middle distance for Atlanta Track Club Elite. Um, prior to, I guess, being able to have that bio, um, Sadie's from Montana, and she was a um, athlete growing up, went on to run in college, uh, five-time second team All-American in the 800 at Boise State um, in the University of San Francisco. She graduated college and went on to run professionally for Wazelle's Little Wing, uh, January 2020. And she has been with the Atlanta Track Club since 2021. I thought we would kind of start maybe with most recent, I think for those of us who followed the indoor track season, it seemed like a different American or world record was broken nearly every single time there was a race. But this past weekend, Sadie placed fifth in the 800 meter final um, and not without a little bit of <laughs> uh, controversy or disqualification and then being reinstated. So Sadie, I thought maybe we could start there and just kind of give us a recap of your indoor season and what it was like, you know, placing top five um, at USA this past weekend. Yeah, sure. Um, well, indoor season went by very fast. I'll say that. Um, I am not used to the type of indoor season or the approach to indoor season that we've taken with Atlanta Track Club. So I've basically just been trying to like hold on to the reins um, and do my best as we go. Um, but I'm lucky to have Olivia Baker made the world team this weekend and I've kind of just been queuing off of her over the season because she's very seasoned as far as indoor season goes. Um, she's been through it. So, um, and then our coaches obviously know what they're doing. So I've just been kind of trying to trust in the process, but we're racing every weekend, which means we're traveling, um, most of the week. And, um, so I think early on this season, um, I like my, my, my goals being at the track club are pretty big and our season goes from, you know, like it starts in January with indoor and then goes technically all the way until September. So, um, I'm using indoor as an opportunity to sort of get like as much information as I can about, um, Atlanta track club, but I have my eyes on the, the whole, um, I don't even know, 10 months, um, that, that we have in front of us. So, um, my, you know, out the gate, like I didn't run, I PR'd for what I've ran in indoor before, but I didn't run what I wanted to run. Um, I ran like 204 and I think I was, so my teammate, Olivia, she ran 202. So after she ran that, I was like, or sorry, she ran 201. So after she ran that, I was like, well, I'm right there in practice. So I should be able to run that now too. So I think I just was like working each week to sort of try to connect the dots between like um, where I am at in practice and the times that we're falling on the track and just, uh, learn as I go. So, yeah. Um, was the goal throughout indoor season, just kind of to just kind of hang on and, you know, pick up the, the training as it goes, but to compete at USA indoors, was that always just kind of the end of the road for, for this section of your build up towards outdoor season? Yeah, definitely. Um, I think, well, actually, for me, I have been very internal in this process of, um, like, I, I know what my outdoor goals are, and I never really t told myself, like, to focus on getting top two at indoors until two weeks ago. Um, and two weeks ago, it happened at practice. Olivia very confidently said that she's going to make the world team. And I was like, 
Wow. <laughs> I was like, I kind of like reflected on that for myself and was like, I can make the world team too. And I haven't told myself that once. So like, why haven't I told myself that? Like where, you know, where's the disconnect here? And I realized that like, I have been so focused on like my process, I guess. And like staying, um, yeah, staying like just internal on where I'm at and how that's like fitting my bigger picture that like, I, I kind of miss it indoor worlds. So that was the first time that I really thought about it, which I told my coach, I was like, I don't think that's right. Like, I think I probably, you know, like I am capable of making a world team. So th this indoor season, like I'm ready now. So, um, like, what do I need to do to kind of get myself there mentally over these next two weeks? And like, does that make sense even for like the, the bigger picture? Cause you know, like we've been talking about my outdoor goals since I got here. So, um, and is this a yeah, conversation with Sorry, I have to know, is this a conversation with Andrew or with Amy? I'm always interested in how the dynamics of the Andrew Amy works with the elite. No, that would be that would be Andrew and Amy, the, the two coaches of the ATC elite team. Andrew and Amy Begley. This was a conversation with Andrew, who he um the girls talk to him once a week and communicate the most with him, and the guys communicate the most with Amy and talk to her once a week. So they just like separated it that way because um they felt like they could be most impactful if they kind of broke it up. And, um, and I think that like their style of communication actually fits well that way with gender too. But they kind of told me um, from the get go, like, this is how we're organizing it, but you're always welcome to talk to Amy if you feel more comfortable. Um, and like, there's no hard feelings. And so I've leaned on both of them quite a bit. Um, coming from my old team, I actually preferred having a female coach um, at first, but I think like, as I've gotten more comfortable and built relationships with both of them, I feel like, you know, I I've learned how to like lean on Amy for some stuff and Andrew for other things. But when it comes to like the weekly kind of check-ins um, I'm, I'm consistently communicating with Andrew. That's pretty cool to go from a two week period of I'm just racing indoors to, Oh, I think I might be able to make the <laughs> world championship team. <laughs> um, I know from following the race that you had a great, you know, qualifying round. And then it was like an hour or two later and it was all over the place that you had stepped on the line. So you were disqualified. And then about what, three hours before the race, the next day you found out that you were actually reinstated in the final. Is that right? Yes. So first of all, this is a little bit of an aside question, but I have to assume that the night before a, um, you know, USA final, you're probably eating something, you know, pre-race, getting a good night's sleep, like you're in a race mentality, but if you're DQ'd and you don't think you're going to the final, like, how was that for you different than it would have been if you had known the night before that you were going to be reinstated and running in the final? Like, did you have any idea? <laughs> <laughs> I would have had a beer in my hand. I don't know. what. <laughs> It was crazy. I mean, so I heard that I'm pretty sure it's already out there on Twitter or something that Donovan had a night to go party with his friends and stayed up late and, and was um, eating waffles when they told him he was reinstated. <laughs> yes. So my, my story is like not dissimilar. Like I, like it was chaotic, but I wasn't out drinking and I made that choice. Like I was, I was doing so much crying and I was like, you know, I'm like really not in a good place to be like out drinking right now so I'm just gonna stay in and like I knew I had this this race coming up next week too and I just felt like I had a lot of processing to do and I didn't really want to like disrupt that with like 
I just going out that night, but the way that it worked for me was like, I didn't get any sleep. Like I was up all night, just like thinking and like (laughs) trying to make sense of what happened and like what I'm going to do next. Um, you know, like, like I was like, okay, well, I guess like now we can focus on the outdoor season. And, um, and then, yeah, I woke up the next morning with yeah very little sleep and was just like, upset (laughs) and was like trying to figure out how I was gonna um kind of turn the day around for myself and then um I yeah I ate something that I normally wouldn't eat like a pretty big meal I wasn't wasn't you know usually like everything is so dialed in leading up to a race um and there was none of that but I um I got kind of lucky with how things shook out too because I was about to leave the hotel to go to lunch with my friend when Amy called me and was like, Hey, you need to put your stuff on and like try to get yourself together because you might be racing and we're leaving the hotel in 20 minutes. So I was like, (laughs) okay. Did did that, did that like sudden phone call, did that help you shake it off? Because it seems like it would be really, really hard after literally staying up all night and replaying that in your head and trying to process it and, and, and wrestling with all those emotions to now try and have to shake that off and actually try and get into a race mindset. Did, did her calling you up and being like, okay, we're leaving in 20 minutes. Go. Did that kind of help you just sort of snap out of it really quick or, or was that still really difficult to do? That's exactly what happened. I I got the call and it was kind of like my, my instinct was like, no, like this is so messed up. I am sick of this. Like, cause you know, I just felt like I was on, cause it actually even just like the process of finding out that I was disqualified was like a lot of back and forth and Hmm. emotionally draining. And then I finally just let myself, like once they told me I'm not in, like, then I let myself go. So now to come back, I was like angry. And I was just like, no, that like, we're not doing this. I'm done with this. And then, and then I like, that was kind of what was going on internally, but I, but then externally I was like, okay, let's go, you know, like I'll, I'll be ready in 20 minutes. And then I, I hung up the phone and I had like just read my teammates caption on my Instagram story. That was like this song that she always sings during practice, like between reps. It's, um, nobody's going to break my stride. Nobody's going to tear me down. Uh Oh, since I had just read that I started like immediately just like, that was kind of churning in my brain. And I was like, okay, forget about anything else, but that song you put your clothes on, like we'll we'll deal with this later and when Amy called me too she said there's a chance that you'll race but she was still like on the edge so there was still a part of me that was like okay it might not happen but like you need to be ready to go in case it does happen so I didn't end up finding out until we got to the track which was about like 30 minutes before my warm-up that I for sure was in and at that point I was ready to go so (laughs) very cool Matthew Wilder for the win so very nice um (laughs) and then you finished fifth um, you just said you wanted to make a world team and you put that into your head and then you ended up finishing fifth. So, so not quite the second place that's required to make the world team, but I mean, how are you feeling about that performance looking back on it, particularly given everything you went through in the, uh, 12 to 16 hours prior to the race? Well, you know, like I was going to be happy with pretty much any outcome. Um, even like if I didn't make the finals and it was a really fair race, like I, I still would have been happy because it's a really hard event um there's so many things you just like can't control and um so yeah I was very happy with my performance and I think like um so I've never made the final actually so I think like even just being in that environment no matter how it was like I could have walked the thing well that's not true but I mean as long as I was like in it 
um, it was an experience that I was going to be taking away and putting in my toolbox. Um, that's helping me towards my bigger goals. So, um, yeah. Very good. Very that's good. awesome. Um, so I want to back up a little bit. I just had to debrief indoor since it was so recent, but can you just give us a little bit of background about kind of your story as an athlete growing up and kind of how you made the decision to run in college? Yes. Um, funny story. I, I was a multi-sport athlete. I really liked basketball and always wanted to play basketball. Um, but I watched my sister who's five years older than me. She got a full ride to run. And so that was kind of when the initial seed was planted. Um, and basically what I saw from that was, oh, she figured out a way to kind of like get school paid for and like, you know, a path out of Montana and the really small town that I was from. Um, and so going into high school, um, so the year after she had graduated, um, I was ready to play volleyball. I had gone to all of the volleyball open gyms that summer and we were approaching the start of volleyball season and cross country season. And my stepdad kind of went on this tangent about how, um, you know, like if I play my cards right, then I can have a similar opportunity as my sister. And, um, you know, if I did cross country instead of volleyball, then <laughs> maybe, you know, maybe I'd have a better shot at getting school paid for. So, um, I told him to flip a penny that was in his pocket three times. And if it was heads two out of three times, then I would do cross country. And that's what happened. And I never looked back. Oh my God. <laughs> <So I> got... <laughs> yeah. And it's one of those sports that like, it's, it brings out so much inner competitiveness, that like once I was in it, like there was no way for me to really get out of it. Um, I mean, it was hard. The hardest part was like all my friends did volleyball. And so I kind of had to like watch the, that separation happen. And it was like going into high school. So, um, but yeah, I mean, it took me all the way through high school and then got me into college. And so, and, yeah. and now you're a professional runner. I mean, do you ever look back on that and wonder what would have happened if one of those heads would have turned up a tail? <laughs> it's, it's just funny that life can be decided so, yeah. so quickly in such a small moment. Yeah. For sure. For um, sure. So how did you choose Boise State? I mean, why Idaho? Why there? They have an amazing um, program. But. <laughs> yeah, it really just came down to, um, I, I think I just saw like the most things that I wanted fulfilled there. Like I, I wanted kind of like a well-rounded like school um life running experience and then they were also really good on the track and so um and I really liked the coaches when they were recruiting me like of all of the coaches I talked to I just felt the greatest connection with them and really like saw myself there my sister had told me that like all know like after I take all these visits like there's going to be this like gut feeling that I have and like just to trust that and I remember that was kind of the deciding factor at the end of the day like I just felt kind of more um at home when I was there so where had your sister gone to college? Colorado State. Very good. Very good. Um, so in doing a little bit of online stalking, I noticed, came across an article where you spoke a it's, lot it's, about- It's research, stuff. Michelle. It's research. <laughs> sure. It's research. Everybody knows I'm researching. <laughs> um, about the impact of one of your coaches, Pat McCurry. And I guess um, if you can you know, tell us a little bit about kind of that relationship and how it formed and, and seems like it was pretty monumental for the path into professional running after college. Yes. Um, yeah, 100%. So 
I got to college at Boise State and I realized that I made it. I did the thing that I wanted to do. I got school paid for and that's all that matters now. So I like definitely, and I didn't really fit, I guess, like the training structure that was in place for me. So what I did was just kind of put my eggs in other baskets and like kind of built my life up in school and in my relationships and in like volunteering, like those kind of things. And so, um, and I had like six jobs. Like I was just, I was one of those people in college. And, um, so I was not doing well on the track at all. Um, and then, and I didn't care. Like I, I wasn't like super, um, you know, sad about that. It was kind of just like, well, like it's, it's paying for me to be here and, you know, I'm like doing what I need to do to get by. So, um, then Pat came a coach, Pat, he, he was the assistant. He became the assistant middle distance coach my, um, junior year. And I was at a point where like, I was, I was like trying to care about it. Um, but was like, not really sure how to, I guess about track, um, and like, couldn't really find like a way forward. And then he came right during that time. And he was a coach that like, he's a really, really good coach. Like he was coming from a program where he was the head coach and now an an assistant coach. And he only had like less than 10 athletes to focus on. And, um, my career just like took off immediately. So I ran, the fastest I had run was 209 going into that season. And um, it was really hard for me to run that time. And then the first race I had with him was 209 early, early in indoor. And then the next one was 205 and then 204. So um, my time just dropped immediately. And I was experiencing this, like, um, this like rediscovering of my potential. Like I was all of a sudden I had 204 uh, or actually I think it was 206 as a time written on my wall all of college up to that point. So like I was, there was this huge aspirational goal I had of running 206 and I was so far from it that whole time. And then Pat came and it just happened so instantaneously. So, um, that was a really rewarding and fulfilling time of my life. Um, and I kind of just like started to reposition, um, myself so that I could take more advantage of myself on the track and let go of some of the commitments I was building outside of track. Um, but a lot of that came from Pat, um, because he was, he was somebody who kind of like filled, I guess, like he was helping me develop personally, just as much as he was helping me develop athletically. And so I just had like this, like total commitment to what he was doing. Can you talk a little bit more about that? And and the reason why why I'm hedging a little bit is because, because it does sound like you said, you know, he's helped me out personally. And then I also helped me out as an athlete. And so I don't want to be too prying. Um, because it does sound like that was something that's, that, that you hold very close, but at the same time, yeah. um, I mean, he showed up and you just broke through and committed to running and, and really, really responded. Um, and so I think that particularly for those of us who are coaches, we want to know, okay, well, what was the magic? Like, like, what did he do that you had been missing? Yeah. Um, that's a great question. I, I think that I needed help navigating life and, um, and track is like what Pat was doing for me was he was using track as like a way to help me navigate life. Like he was using the lessons that can be gained from sport and like running and, um, sort of like redirecting. Yeah. I guess just the way that I was like navigating my my life with those lessons. And so, Um, I felt like such a huge impact. Like it wasn't, it wasn't just like, I just ran this time and, um, I've been wanting to run this time. This, 
you know, this whole, my whole career, it was like, if I continue down this road um, and really engage with Pat's um, coaching, like I am going to be growing just as a person, just as much as a, um, I'm achieving the things that I want to on the track. So it was kind of a no brainer. Like I, I, it was like so easy for me to kind of just let go of everything else. Like, um, cause, cause all of the other stuff, like putting my eggs in school and like in all these different jobs, it was like me trying to navigate and like, try to figure out like how to have like a fulfilling life or like be my best person. But it just wasn't the most efficient way to do that. And maybe it would have been if that never showed up, like I'll never know. But like when he did show up, like I, um, yeah, I mean, I guess it just was like very clear that, okay, this is what I got to do to, yeah. Yeah. You know, as, as part of our research for this podcast, um, we went to, uh, to, to Pat's page, um, uh, Idaho afoot, um, we, where there's a few different blog we entries and all that sort of thing. We both went. Um, and, uh, and at one point on that blog, he mentions that, that his, one of his core coaching principles is that you work on the person, um, then on, uh, the athlete, um, then on the runner, then on the event specific. Right. Um, and it sounds like, um, and not to put words in your mouth by any stretch, but it sounds like you needed somebody who w- was helping work on you as a person a little bit, um, in order yes. that you're, you're, you're running to kind of shine through. And so yep. you need somebody not to tell you what repeats to run, but also to help you to figure out how to get your life together so that you could run those repeats. Right. Yep. Exactly. Very cool. Very cool. Um, so unfortunately college doesn't last forever for any of us. (laughs) Um, and it seems like you graduated college and basically decided at some point that you were going to make the transition to, um, Wazelle's Little Wing, which is their, you know, group of professional runners, which was coached by Lauren Fleshman. Um, how did that come about? I mean, what was the kind of process of making that decision to forego, you know, the academic success you had had and maybe pursuing one of those six jobs that you had had. But, you know, once you put all your eggs in the basket of professional runner, most of that stuff, you know, takes, takes a back burner to running. Um, so how did that decision come about? Um, it actually, so when Pat came, um, two years later, we had two years at Boise state and then he took a head coaching job at San Francisco. So I saw, I was kind of, like I was saying, as I was like repositioning myself, like when he told me that he's going to take the job in San Francisco, it was, it was like the week before school started and I was going to finish, like I was going into my senior year. So it was going to be when I was tying up all these different things. And like, um, and then he said, yeah, I'm going to San Francisco. And I was like, well, (laughs) I have a decision to make here. Um, because I, what I saw was that if I were to follow him to San Francisco, then that would be my best shot at running post-collegiately and having more sustainability in the sport. And so I decided to go with him and, um, that decision, I guess, like ended up kind of freeing me of other obligations. Um, it, the, I guess like the challenge was then I had to deal with like transferring and adjusting to a city. And, um, Mm. so, so I guess like, was your question, how did I end up in little wing? Is that where we're going? (laughs) I mean, really just the transition from finishing college and deciding, you know, that you were not going to pursue a master's degree or, you know, get some full-time job that you, you know, you were going to see how good you could become in this running thing and how far it could take you. And 
um, you know, just kind of that whole process. Cause it feels like, yeah. I mean, I was a division one athlete and there's a huge, you know, when you step away from that identity of, from a team, teammate, college athlete, you're just dropped into a whole world of like, what am I supposed to do now? I've been on a team literally for 21, 22, 23 years. Um, and then the real world kind of hits you. <laughs> so mm-hmm. I guess, you know, just making the decision to kind of forego those classical post-collegiate steps, whether it's grad school or start your career um, and choosing to, you know, go the professional running path. Yeah. Yeah. So I guess like those decisions were kind of happening from the point that my junior year at Boise state through the move to San Francisco, like refined that. Um, and it was kind of like, I mean, I, I, I made that move because I was fully intending on going to run post collegiately. So, um, so by the time you decided to follow Pat, put in for a transfer, you were all in on, I'm not going just for my senior year of running like I'm going because this guy is going to help me get to the next level yes and I had to make that so he told me I had to make that decision in like three days and (laughs) it was no it was insanely intense like so Pat told me he was going to leave the week before school started and I basically was just like so my plan was to at that point was since I was double majoring in school I could finish one of my degrees by December and then go to San Francisco and pursue a master's and then finish, um, and then finish my eligibility with outdoor season with Pat in San Francisco. Um, and I saw that like, there was so much opportunity there because I could kind of tie things up at Boise, but then still get like, um, you know, like a master's and be with Pat and then hopefully run after college. But then like the way it shook out was, when I told the head coach at first, he wasn't going to give me the release to follow Pat. Like that, that wasn't an option. But then once he realized that I could do that, like he um, sort of like kicked me out of his office and then framed it. Like I quit the team. Um, And so there was really no going back. Like at that point it was like, and I asked if I could go back on it so that I could, you know, like I told him, I was like, I mean, I'll stay in Boise um, and finish my two degrees here. But there was sort of a part of me that was like, I don't know, I guess like the pressure of those three days and those conversations that I was having, like I had to be very decisive about what I was going to do. And like kind of similar to the the penny flipping situation, like I kind of had to do what I do, what my gut was telling me and then not look back. And I had to process all of that and really like make that decision in a really short amount of time. And um, once I was on the track to in San Francisco to run post-collegiantly. Like I was like, this is what we're doing. We're going to do everything we can to make this work. How did it come about that you decided to go with Wazelle when you did decide to go pro? How how did that come about? So I think Wazelle, so during all of this, like going through that and then um, also my senior year was the year that the dream maternity campaign came out. um, And I trained a little bit with Shannon Robery. Um, cause she was training in San Francisco and I was very disenchanted by all of the things that I was hearing about running post-collegiately. Also the Mary Kane thing happened during that year. So I was, I was just, I was just skeptical and I was like, well, I am, you know, putting my eggs in this basket. So like, I want it to be safe and, um, I don't want, you know, those things to be detracting from what I'm trying to do with running. And then like I heard about Wazelle and that just made sense to me. I felt like, you know, they, they're a very mission driven organization that's for women. Um, and 
that's, you know, something that I really identified with and aligned with personally and felt like it could amplify my running career um, if I felt like I was being well represented. So, and then the other thing was this group in Bend, Oregon was, you know, Bend is very similar to Montana where I grew up environmentally and um, being in San Francisco. I really like San Francisco, but I knew that um, I would thrive in, in an environment where it was very beautiful and really nice nature. So those things drew me in that direction. So everybody wants to know, like, what is it like to be coached by Lauren Fleshman? (laughs) 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 Let's just sidestep here for a second. (laughs) Lauren's amazing. She's as amazing in person as she is, um, I guess, as like a social media person. But um, I think like the best thing about her coaching is she's extremely intuitive and can make a decision on the fly. Um, Like no one I've ever seen. Like it's a really impressive skill. I think that she... Um, she's very in the moment. She doesn't do as much like, like planning ahead. Um, but then that like ends up, I guess, freeing up a lot of like, just like decision-making power. So yeah, when the pandemic happened, like it kind of felt like she was, you know, in her element in a way, because she, she was used to making decisions through, through chaos, it seemed like. So, um, so I reached out to Sarah Lesko, uh, with Wazelle and just, you know, said, we're bringing Sadie on the podcast. And I know her, I I mean, I've been part of the volley for almost 10 years now. So, um, and I was like, tell me other stuff about her because I know she's this amazing runner, but like behind every amazing runner is also just, you know, a person. Um, so she said to talk to you about, you know, your activism with mental health and how you kind of got involved in that realm when you were living in Bend. So I was wondering if you would share a little bit about that passion with us. Yes, definitely. Um, yeah, so as I said, I studied psychology in school and um, I ended up finishing my degree while I was in Bend. Um, and then my first job in Bend out of college was at a mental health clinic. And basically um, during my time, I realized that, um, well, I'll, I guess I should say like, then the pandemic happened and yeah. I feel like it brought up a lot of mental health issues. And what I saw was like, there was a, a real need for, I mean, this is true across all, all things mental health, but there's just a, a real need for it to be talked about. And um, I'm going to back up a little bit too. When I was working at the mental health clinic, I think what I realized the most was just like how burdened mental health is like as an industry and as like a conversation. And like, um, there's like so many barriers for people to access care. And like, there's so many barriers in our society to even talk about like mental health and mental wellness. And, um, and so I figured like, that's something that I could focus on with my running that would help, um, you know, kind of like change the conversation or like add, add some more information in the conversation of mental health. Um, and so I, I wanted to focus on youth. And when I was in Bend, I started working on a youth program um, that used running as a way to create positive mental health habits. Um, and this was again, like during the pandemic. So I think like that just like really amplified the need for it. Um, like everybody was experiencing isolation and like all, it just brought up a lot of mental health issues. And so I, um, you know, like working on this program for me was like sort of a way to counter the effects of isolation and 
um, the issues from the, from COVID-19. That's awesome. Um, yeah, I mean, I felt anybody who's listened to the podcast, I spoke about this as my build up last fall to, to Boston, but really realizing for the first time that, um, like mental health is health. (laughs) That was my lived experience, but, um, I struggled personally with, you know, just the whole barrier to, um, access to get like the help that I needed. It was so easy for me. And, and I was thinking Mm -hmm. like what I went through was, well, I don't know, George coached me through it, but maybe it was six to 12 weeks, but it was horrific. And I was thinking like people live like this for years and they either Mm -hmm. don't reach out or the stigma prevents them or they don't have insurance. I didn't, my insurance didn't cover the therapy that I got, but it's like, I just made phone calls and I, you know, like Mm -hmm. paid, wrote a check for these appointments. And, but that's like a privilege. Like nobody, you don't even realize how much of a privilege that is until you really take a step back and think about how many people are suffering that just don't even get the help or have the access to it. So. Yes. It's a whole beast. Like there's, when we start talking about these things, like there's just so many angles you can take because it feels like it's, for me, it's like one of the most neglected things in our society. Like, yeah. Okay. On a lighter note, tell us about fishing. and Ben. <laughs> what do I need to know about fishing? <laughs> so I um, am pretty new still. Um, but I started this fly, fly fishing. fishing. Are you like when I open the Patagonia catalog and I see the guy in overalls standing in the water fishing? It's not a guy, it's Sadie. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's me. Um, no, I don't have any any cool stuff from the Cabela's magazine. Um, I'm just so I started fly fishing because I was ice bathing after a run in Montana in the river, and there was all these people going past me fishing. <laughs> And I was like, hey, I should try that. That looks fun. So then the next day I went out to ice bath and I took my stepdad's fly fishing rod and um, I was out there for hours. And it was like, just, I, I, while living in Bend, I spent a lot of time running in nature, but like I, sometimes I couldn't because the trails are too hilly or whatever. And so this was another access point into nature for me um, where I can go out and just spend hours and hours and I, um, and you know, I could get ice bathing out of it too. So, and um yeah. So actually, so I also just like living in Bend and going through the pandemic, I was like, this is a really great opportunity for me to take advantage of this amazing place that I'm living and learn something new. And, um, moving to Georgia, people have been telling me that the fishing here is really good, but I've yet to experience that. So next week I'm going, um, North Georgia, I'm going to North Georgia and hopefully going to do like a, a rafting trip is the plan. Uh, so I can see how, yeah. how it actually is. Yeah. That's awesome. Very cool. Very cool. Very cool. It's a hard, it's a hard sport though. That's all you need to know. It's, it's not easy. <laughs> for real? <laughs> yeah, no, for, for real. Yeah. I've caught, I've caught two fish in the last two years so, wow. and I've gone, I'd say 60 times probably. <laughs> wow. I, I figured it was something that was related to your growing up in Montana. I figured that that, that was just something that you always used to do back in the day and you just sort of carried with you throughout, but, but no, you didn't start it until you were spending the pandemic in Bend, Oregon. That's right. Yeah. Well, I, I look, you'll have to circle back around with this after you go on your fishing trip in North Georgia and let us know how the North Georgia fishing compares to the Bend, Oregon, Oregon fishing. And of course the Montana fishing, um, I'm sure it will be different, but you know, hopefully it will still be good. <laughs> 
Yeah, I'll, I will let you know. Um, and so you moved to, or you joined the Atlanta Track Club, and and therefore moved to Atlanta in in 2021. Um, did you continue any of your advocacy work, or have you continued any of your advocacy work around mental health when you've been here? Um, I've maybe pivoted a little from mental health, but focused on youth. Um, so everybody on our team has a role within the organization, the bigger Atlanta Track Club organization, and my role is with the Kilometer Kids program. Um, and there is a mental health component, but the priority is more of the um, physical activity component. So I tried to, I tried to like emphasize the mental health piece as much as I can, but to be honest with you, I think, um, I think positive mental health is a byproduct of just doing a really well run, um, physical activity youth program. So, yeah. Very good. Very good. So how'd you choose Atlanta track club elite team? I mean, I'd have to assume that, you know, based on um, how things went for you with Little Wing and and the USAs and stuff, you might have had other options. So what made you choose to come here? Yes. um, Well, actually, I hadn't considered anything out East until my agent suggested, you know, have you looked into Atlanta Track Club? Have you looked into these other teams? And so at first I was pretty, I was pretty turned off by it, but I I hadn't looked into it at all. So, um, I thought, you know, well, I might as well turn the stone and like, um, take a look and just get all the information I can. Cause that, up to that point, I had made like a pretty, pretty good list of the things that I felt like I needed, um, to get, um, the most out of myself. And so basically I was just like, Hey, I'm going to go try to get all the information I can about what teams are out there and what they have to offer. And then, you know, like, I didn't need anything perfect, but I needed whichever situation fit my, what I felt I needed the most was the one that I was going to choose. So, I mean, that's what ended up happening. I, you know, like so I really didn't the ex- bill. like what about Atlanta <laughs> track club fit the bill? Um, so my three things were, I wanted to be, I wanted to be in an environment where it like optimized my ability to get my job done. Um, which looked like having, being surrounded by teammates that want to be there and um, also can push me as well as having coaches that are engaged and um, are going to, you know, like help get me progress. And then having just like, um, and like an athletic space to get all of that done. Because believe it or not, like a lot of programs out there, like don't even have like a, a designated gym or, you know, like kind of these logistical things that just um, you know, make it like really easy to do the day-to-day running stuff. So all of that, they checked off, um, checked off my list. And then, um, being in nature was really important to me and I didn't expect Atlanta to, to check that box, but it, it does actually. Um, and then, and then the community aspect was really important to me as well. So leaving Wazelle, um, they had like such a good community model, uh, that I really liked. And so, um, the, the, I think like the track club is such a big organization and I'm connected to different parts of the community, but what really sold me was being able to work at the track club and have like a very tangible, like I can carry this work that I've been doing for this youth program forward, um, in, you know, a way that's actually like built in for me with this team. So, yeah. That's awesome. Very cool. Um, go ahead, George. I was going to say, what what have you liked about moving to Atlanta? Because I mean, I, I've lived in a couple of different places, as has Michelle, and and we recognize that that 
there is such a thing as regional differences. <laughs> the, the Pacific Northwest yeah. is not the same as the Southeastern United States. And so Atlanta is no Montana. <laughs> yeah, right. Um, nor San Francisco, nor Bend. Nor Bend. Yeah. Um, and so, so have, have, have you enjoyed being here? I mean, has it been a, an easy transition for you? Has it been difficult? I mean, tell us about it. So far, it has been an easy transition. Um, I, one thing I'll say too, is like part of making this move, like I was really ready to step into the running part of my life and like, just be really, really all in on this. And since I've been here, we've been traveling a lot. We've been um, at team camp for a month. So like, I feel like I'm still really, really new to Atlanta, but every time I'm here, I feel very fulfilled. Like I, I really, really like being in Atlanta and where I'm living right now is very close to the river, the Chattahoochee River, um, and the trail that we run on. And there's this coffee shop that I go to every day that like overlooks the river and it's just in a lot of green space. And so I think that for me is, is the upper river trail in Bend, Oregon, or the river in Montana, or even San Francisco had really great access to nature. So, um, so yeah, I, I'm, I mean, I really like it here. And then I'll add like at the same time, um, like, you know, Montana isn't a city, like it's very rural. And so having a city really close to me and all these different options um, for food and um, diversity and just like people around all the time is also really exciting for me. So yeah, I really liked it. I'm going to ask you a question as somebody who majored in psychology. um, You've mentioned nature several times um, and about how important (laughs) it is to you to be in nature. Um, is, Is there a psychological need that is fulfilled for you by nature? Um, What is it that nature does for you? Yeah, 1000%. I think it's just, um, it's like very grounding and centering for me. Um, I think like growing up in Montana, I have a connection to nature that, um, you know, like, I guess, like I grew up in the mountains and um, I think like if I've experienced like a tumultuous time or a lot of stress when I, and in nature, like that kind of just goes away and it, I feel recharged, um, and very present. And I feel like I'm better able to process things. Um, and if that's not true, like if I'm just normal and (laughs) everything is going good, then, um, it's just, you know, it's, it's still a place that I feel really at peace. So, or a way that I find peace. Yeah. But, but interestingly, and, and I feel this way as well. Um, even though you run in natural settings, that doesn't yeah. necessarily scratch the nature itch for you. Is that right? Or is that fair to say? Um, like you, you need more nature besides just being out there running in it. You need to be fishing in it or you need to be hiking in it or you need to be doing something else in it. Is that right? I think, yeah. I mean, I think it's, I think running might do it for me, but I know I think like, as I've gone through life, like, I'm like, okay, these are the things if I were to die tomorrow, like, how would I have want to spend my time? And like, I want to spend my time in nature. Like I want as many hours of my life to be like experiencing a really beautiful view or like climbing a mountain, you know, like in the sun, um, along the river, like all of those things are the things that stand out to me about what makes me feel fulfilled. And so, um, I do think that running gives me a really good access point to it. And if I went a month with only running in nature, I think that would do it for me. But, um, but yeah, I'm like still trying to get out there as much as I can. So. Okay. So weird last question on this, given all of that, do you see being a trail runner in your future? 
do you see once you have once you've accomplished what you want to accomplish in the middle distances on the track do you see yourself moving into trail running i have before yeah maybe i don't know i do think i want to study this thing called biomimicry and i think that that's my next kind of angle with um like the future for me as far as staying connected to nature goes Tell us about what's next for you. I'm going to wrap up here in a, in a few minutes, but what, what, what's, what's coming up next uh, before outdoor season? Um, yeah, this weekend we're going to Chicago and trying to run a fast, um, one more fast 800 indoors before we wrap up the season. And then mm-hmm. next week we will take a break and then we'll start outdoor season. I'm planning on opening up April 9th and if not April 9th, then I'll open up the next week. So Awesome. Yeah. And the goal obviously is uh, trials leading in to the world championships, which are be held in Eugene this summer. Yeah. Yes. Yes. That's And correct. you'll stick to the 800 or is there any chance that you would run some 15s or no way or. <laughs> no, I'll be running probably quite a few miles and road miles and 15s. Um, that's definitely something I'll be focusing on down the road or building more into my um, arsenal, but, but my sole focus as far as, um, you know, making a world team is the 800. Awesome. Um, George loves to know what is your favorite workout? I just stole his question because <laughs> I also <laughs> want to know. <laughs> My favorite workout is, this is actually a pat workout, but it's carried through in all of my teams. Um, it's 200s. We'll say it changes, but we'll say three by five by 200 and the first four are like 1500 pace and then the last one is 800 pace mm. of of the five so then so basically you're kind of going like a rhythmic slower i guess type type of pace and then you get really short rest so 45 seconds um before you do the next one and then when you get to the last one of that set you go fast but then you get two minutes break before your next set and you start over. So you get to kind of go slow again and work into it. And then, and yeah, I guess not work into it because you want to stay consistently the same pace. And then last one you go fast. So it's kind of this fun. Um, Uh Oh, I see George writing. Are you writing this down, George? (laughs) I I am writing this down. No, I I like that. So Michelle will tell you, I like workouts that like mix paces and, and, and toss in like fast things in the middle of the workout and stuff. Um, and so, yeah, I like that whole idea of three sets of five, but then the first four in the set are at mile pace with short rest. And then the last one is at 800 pace and then you get a longer rest and do it again. I like that a lot, yep. actually. I might do that next week. <laughs> <laughs> and I've done it. I've done a few different like versions where um, like you could do four sets and maybe do 12 total. So you don't have to stick to that stuff too much, but yeah, the, the intent is um what you just outlined that's awesome cool. all right so sadie tell us where can we follow you we know that you're on social media tell us where you post and how we can keep up with uh not only your last indoor meet here but with your outdoor season starting on april 9th or april 16th you can follow me i post mostly on instagram at sadie henderson or you can follow our atlanta track club elite page which is at atlanta track club elite um, and they do a good job of doing recaps and posting information that's helpful um, about what races are coming up. You can also follow Atlanta Track Club Elite on Twitter. I am not as active on Twitter, even though I should be, but I'm at Sadie underscore Henderson. Um, And yeah. 
Very Actually, cool. I'm going to jump in with one more question. Um, when you said you're not as active on Twitter, even though you should be, is there um, like a pressure to post content either through Atlanta Track Club Elite or Adidas or anything? Or is it really more just kind of free flowing what what you feel like posting? Um, they don't they don't put as much pressure on it. Um, but it's still, like you said, is such a big part of our sport. And so I feel like if, you know, you're engaging to the fullest with what the sport is offering right now, then being active on those platforms is important. So, yeah, that's awesome. Sadie Henderson, we appreciate you coming on the most pleasant exhaustion podcast. Uh, Good luck next weekend indoors. And of course, we will be watching you closely once the outdoor season starts. Thank you. I appreciate it. Thanks for having me. Thank you. Thanks again for listening to the Most Pleasant Exhaustion Podcast. You can find us on Facebook at facebook.com slash pleasantpodcast, on Twitter at pleasantpodcast, or on Instagram, Most Pleasant Exhaustion. We're available on Stitcher, SoundCloud, Apple Podcasts, or Spotify, so share us with your friends. Don't forget that we're sponsored by ITL Coaching and Performance, who you can find at itlcoaching.com, on Twitter at itlcoaching, on Facebook at facebook.com slash itlcoachingperformance, and on Instagram, ITL Coaching. We're also sponsored by Blue Pineapple Travel, bluepineappletravel.com, facebook.com slash bluepineappletravel, and on Instagram, bluepineappletravel. And finally, don't forget we're sponsored by SlayRx. That's slayrx.com, facebook.com slash here for SlayRx. That's the number four, SlayRx. Twitter, at official SlayRx, and Instagram, here for Slay RX, the number four Slay RX. Discount code Pleasant22. On behalf of Michelle Frank, Patrick Ollinger, and Eric Hall, I'm George Darden. Thanks for listening to the Most Pleasant Exhaustion Podcast.